You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Have your Bibles. You can open up to Matthew chapter 15. I won't call out anybody else's ailments in this place, so. We're continuing this series called Blind Spots as we just really believe God's preparing us. God wants to use you. He wants you to be a light that lights up the whole house. So Matthew chapter 5 verse 15 says, that's what he wants you to be. Not covered by a basket. Not unplugged, not turned off. He wants to be a lamp that lights up the whole house. This, this series is meant to be a, a series of preparation for us as a church as we believe God wants to use us in this world and we can't sit idly by pointing our fingers at everyone else for not doing their part. We gotta get on our knees and repent and say, God, use us. Start revival right here. Right here in Ames. Start revival here at LifePoint. Start it in my heart. Start it in my living room, in my house, in my marriage. Start revival here. And that's what the, the essence of this series has been. God wants us to be agents of change. He wants us to see clearly to take the speck out of our friend's eye. But he says before we can do that, we gotta take the, take the plank out of our own eye. We gotta take the log out of our own eye. And that's what the essence of this series is, is us dealing with the planks in our own eye. So we don't look like fools as, as we're trying to help the world around us. And we got this silly log sticking out of our eye. When we deal with the plank in our own eye, we can see clearly how to, how to handle and help our neighbors in taking the speck out of their eyes. So this morning I want to share a message entitled "The uh, Good News for Your Heart. Good news for your heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for your heart. And so there's this deceptive nature to uh, religion and our infatuation with religion that deals with facades, that deals with, with outward exteriors of change, but never deals with the actual heart, the human heart. So we want to bring light to that gospel, which is good news for our heart. You can think of it like a costume. Like when you put on a costume, you're pretending, you're trying to be something you're not. In high school, I joined a band because my brother got saved, and he loved music, and they asked me to play bass for their, their band. I wasn't cool, so they're like, hey, you need to wear a costume to be in our band. And so I put on the costume, so I had my cool vans and my fitted jeans and my vintage t-shirt and after the, after the shows, and I'd go put on my, uh, my, my white case Swisses and my khakis again, you know? So it was my costume. So I was trying to be something I was not. And so often religion fools us. It deceives us. It kind of lulls us into this de- deceptive um, sense that things are changing in our lives. We're really messing around with the exteriors. We're just cleaning up the exteriors of our lives and never dealing with the heart. And Jesus, time and time again, he uses this word. The Greek word is cardia. It's used 157 times in the New Testament because Jesus is serious about proclaiming good news to your heart. Our main idea for this morning is that, is that all blind spots are birthed in the heart. You gotta gotta handle that truth. You gotta swallow that, that all, all of our blind spots are there. They're rooted in the heart. And so Jesus isn't so much impressed with our, our outward adornments of praise and worship in our buildings and 
Instead, he's looking at our heart. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, he says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. This is the God who implemented the sacrificial system of, of burnt offerings and, and animal sacrifices in the Old Covenant. And yet he said that's not what he's after, truly. That's meant to be an outward expression of something happening, happening internally. He says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He really wants us to know him. And then the prophet Ezekiel, he points to what the work of Jesus is going to be like. And he says, and I will give you a new heart, not a new exterior. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone with your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So it's not that he's not concerned with the outward obedience aspects of the commands that we, we see throughout his scripture. It's the order that has to be correct. That he first wants to give us a heart that desires obedience. Not obedience trying to earn God's favor, but instead a heart that's transformed into the likeness of him that exterior, in an exterior way results in obedience. And so if we're not careful, religion, transformation from the inside out. So let's look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20, as Jesus calls out once again, which he did through most of his public ministry, calls out the religious establishment, the religious leaders, as he points us towards the true radical good news of his gospel. He said, and he called the people to him, and he said, so this is religious leaders, the disciples, and then other Jewish onlookers. He called them all to himself, and he said, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Because like any religious movement, they were concerned with these rules about the foods that they ate and the, the, the washing of their hands, these ceremonial washings, amongst many other rules that they were obsessed with legalistically. So then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Ouch. There is coming a day when we'll all stand before the Father. He'll separate the wheat from the chaff, the, the sheep from the goats. So it's like our prerogative right now to be a people that are humble before a holy God. That would say, God, search us and know us. We are completely dependent on your grace and your sufficiency. We don't want to be the blind leading the blind. We want to walk with a spirit of humility, dependence on his grace and his sufficiency. We want him to uproot these things in our heart right now. So when we stand before him, we are covered in Christ. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's expelled? He's just given him a simple biology lesson here. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So he calls out the, the, the deception of religion. 
that what, what happens exteriorly is not as important as what happens here in our heart. And this is where, this is the birthplace of our sin issues, of our blind spots. So I pray this morning that you would be tender enough before the Lord to say, God, search me, know me. Deal with the roots of these issues. Uproot them now, God. Prepare me for the work that you want to use me for. So yes, we proclaim a gospel that, that Jesus does forgive. He forgives you of your sins, but he also transforms. He gave you victory on the cross and through, the, through his resurrection, but he also gives you victory for today. It's not always just past tense. It's not just dealing with your past. It's also dealing with your present. That God wants you to be an overcomer. He wants you to be victorious. That's what he's calling you into. He's calling you to burn more brightly for his kingdom, to represent him more accurately in this world, to truly represent him as a son, as a daughter. And so Jesus actually saves us from what defiles us. That's what he came to do, to be a, to be a redeemer, to redeem you from these things, from the very things he listed. He said, those, those are the things that come out of a person's heart, and that's what he came to redeem us from. These things that have a, a birthplace right here in our heart. So let's just take a look at, at some of the examples that Jesus gave us because it's so fascinating that in the thousands and thousands, thousands of years of, of our human existence that these same sin issues are issues today. He says evil thoughts, murder, false witness, slander. I'll just put that under the, the banner of, of anger. We still have anger issues today, right? And so religion can deceive you into just kind of mustering up this willpower to overcome anger. Just don't be angry in the wrong places. Don't be angry in church. You can blow up at your family, but don't be angry around your pastor. You know, impress, impress the people you're trying to impress. That's what religion kind of deceives us into playing that game. And that's not the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is not behavior management. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about heart transformation. He came to give you a new heart. And those things are birthed right here in the heart. Anger is birthed right here. And when you begin to take that posture of faith that says, Jesus, the great physician, actually wants to do heart surgery on me. You place your heart before him. You know what Holy Spirit begins to do? He begins to highlight the roots of those sin issues. He begins to reveal that, wow, those are rooted in unforgiveness or that's rooted in bitterness or stress. And anger just becomes this outflow or result, resultant of something much deeper that Redeemer Jesus, Healer Jesus wants to make right in your life. And when you go on that journey with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's eye-opening because you realize, wow, I am, I am fleshing out this unforgiveness on those around me. When I have been an enemy of God, and I hung him on that cross, and yet he forgave me. I was merciless in my sin against him, and yet he showed me mercy. That's the gospel. So when we go on that journey with the Holy Spirit, we begin to realize how these outflushings of sin outwardly, they're not just playing games, and so we don't change them with costumes. Instead, we change them in intimacy with him and through Holy Spirit, enlightening our hearts and healing us and making us right. Are you tracking with me? You can, you can do the same thing with, with sexual morality, or he also deals with, with theft, which, I mean, in our day and age, with, with greed and materialism, it hasn't gone away. 
those are still rooted in our hearts. Jesus calls out lust in Matthew chapter five, and he says, and even if you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in, in your heart. He's not saying that, that all sin is equal. Obviously, it's worse to go and commit adultery with somebody outside of marriage. But he's saying all, all sin is sin, and, and, and then you would commit it in your heart, it's still evil before God. And that's, where, that's the birthplace of sin is right here in our hearts. We begin to deal with holy, when we begin to deal with our sin issues as root, rooted in our heart, we place our hearts before him. And Holy Spirit begins to take us on a journey. We've been seeking out pleasure outside of the ways that God wants to satisfy us. His right order of things. Begin to realize, oh, we're, we're, just, we're clinging for control. We're clinging for security and things outside of Christ. This posture of humility. As a gentle father, he wants to guide us into all truth. And the same is true with when it comes to materialism and greed. We're, we're grappling for, we're trying to reach, grope for something that's, that's not ours. He's the one who gave it to us. He can take it away. We give freely. We're, we're people that are generous. Some people, uh, you question us talking about tithing. None of you, but some people do. And we don't, we don't preach tithing as law. We preach it as life. It's, it's one of the most practical ways to loosen the shackles of the control of money upon our lives. We just begin to tithe. So we don't, we don't preach tithing in some legalistic way. No one's checking up on you. It's not religious taxation. And if you feel like it is, then I give you a pass to, to you if you see it as religious taxation because it does nothing to earn God's favor. It's a gift to you to loosen the shackles of money, the stronghold of money upon your life. But before you do anything else, you just give back to God. God, for, you, for the furtherance of your kingdom, I give back. You've given it all to me. Of course, I'm going to give you 10%. And obviously, he always, Jesus always raised the bar, just like he did with, with adultery. He raised the bar. He does the same thing in, in regards to our finances. So some people, you know, they, they get into the weeds about, oh, what's, what's the new covenant uh, percentage that we're supposed to give? Percentage is irrelevant. It's always a matter of the heart. If we're, if we're haggling over percentages, we've missed the point. It's always about the heart, of course. Yeah, 10%, of course. You've given me 100%. Uh, I, I, I just free myself of that bondage. See, tracking with me? It's always a matter of the heart. It all starts right here. That's humbling to begin to realize that. But I'm praying that it's not condemning. I'm praying that it's hope-filled, that there is something more for you than just the, um, the, the icky feelings of playing church and going along with the, the gimmicks of religion where you feel like you got to be somebody here amongst Christians and somebody different out there. That is a thing of the past. That's not what Jesus died for. He died for a gospel that's meant to mean something for your lifestyle Monday through Sunday. And that deals with the heart. That's when Jesus actually becomes the healer of your heart, he begins to redeem and make new and actually take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So Jesus pretty boldly, pretty specifically, is calling out religious abuses of the first century that are irrelevant today. You don't have too many religious leaders in our circles that are standing before you and telling you you need to wash your hands in very certain ways before you eat or else you're cast out as a sinner and we're not um, beating you over the head for Sabbath keeping and uh, we're not doing the things that Jesus is calling out here. In the verses prior, he called them out for saying 
you, you want to honor your father and mother, you say that as the sixth commandment, the ten commandments, but, but then you, you elevate these traditions of men that actually give you a loophole to not financially support your parents. So Jesus calls them out, that, them out in that in the ver- first nine verses of Matthew chapter 15. You can check it out for yourself. They, were, they would use these traditions, they call the law of customs, these traditions of men and elevate them to the, the level of the law of God became these religious abuses. So you may be asking, how is this relevant to our lives today? Like, what are the religious abuses that we, that we see as all too common? And honestly, I could come up with a list of like 100, but I thought what's most pertinent to us as Midwest, um, middle America people is this, is cultural Christianity. I believe it's one of the, the greatest deceptions of our day is cultural Christianity. This is, this is what so many people um, affiliate with. This is idea of kind of passed down through the generations, kind of a, um, a, a mental ascent to a, a creedal set of doctrines or a people more culturally than anything internally in our hearts. So I want to set apart the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from cultural Christianity. It's a lifestyle of Christianity. Jesus wants you to burn brightly. If you think of the life that Jesus means for you to live, it's, it's meant to be a light that's in a living room that's burning brightly for everyone to see. What religion fools you into doing is kind of polishing the brass of the lamp. It doesn't actually do anything for the function of the lamp. It, it, religion makes you want to kind of care about how you look ornamentally. But the gospel wants you to burn brightly. You, you need to perform a function in this world to bring kingdom light into the darkness. So here's five differences of, between uh, cultural Christianity and lifestyle Christianity. It's, it's this, disciples, not decisions. Disciples, not just decisions. The New Testament pattern time and time again is, points us towards a gospel of making disciples, not just decisions. So there's been a huge movement in the 20th century, especially amongst a lot of the evangelistic crusades of people making decisions. You fill out a decision card, you raise your hand, and it almost gives people a false sense of assurance. But that's the good news. But they don't walk away changed. Billy Graham talk, talked about this at length as well. And that's not what he was contending for. He wasn't contending for decision cards and raised hands raise hands. He was, he was contending for an experience of being born again, of Holy Spirit actually coming and living inside of people as they turn to Jesus as their Savior. You become a disciple, and that word disciple literally means student. So it's more than just raising a hand or filling out a card. It's, it's more than just sitting in a seat. It's actually being a disciple. You become a disciple, one on mission, one who sits at the feet of Jesus as a learner, as a student. This was the precedent in the book of Acts in the early church. Look at this passage in Acts chapter 14, verse 21. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So it, it does not say that Paul went into the city and he, he made decisions. He got a bunch of people to raise their hand. And then he, was, he went back to Jerusalem so excited about all the people that raised their hands. 
No, he went there to make disciples, people that made decisions to actually follow Jesus with their lives, with all that they were, whatever the repercussions. And they lived in a day and age which was much more hostile to the gospel. That was his heart. They had made many disciples. So they went throughout that region, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And they went and appointed leadership in those churches as well. It's Acts chapter 14, verse 21 through 23. That becomes the New Testament pattern, is making disciples. So even in our church, we, we have a conviction that we want to give people an opportunity to encounter the living, loving God for themselves. And at the end of our services, we, many, many Sundays, we give opportunities for people to make decisions to follow Jesus. But it's not just meant to be a decision in that moment in time, just raise your hand and, and you leave unchanged. It's meant to be a decision to follow Jesus as a disciple of life change. You're going to stop trusting in yourself. You're going to stop placing your, your faith in yourself as your own sufficiency, and you're going to place your faith from that moment forward in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. It's not just decisions. It's disciples. Something so much more. Second is this. It's, it's lifestyle, not just lip service. In, in the two verses prior to where we read this morning, as Jesus is calling them out, calling them out for not financially... Um, adhering to the obligation that they have to their parents. He said, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. And I believe we need to be careful within our sphere where cultural Christianity is so, um, so common, so popular, that we don't just sing the songs that we don't just open up our mouths but don't think about the words that are coming out of our mouth. Just as Pastor Tony talked about this morning, we, we can oftentimes just sing the songs on the screen and, or turn up the radio and we sing the song. We don't realize the words that we're singing. Do they match up with our lifestyle? Are our hearts in alignment with what's coming out of our mouth? That's the difference between lifestyle and lip service. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for our heart. And that results in lifestyle, not just lip service. You tracking with me? The third is this. It's cultural politics, not just cultural politics. I believe cultural politics become one of the most deceptive ways of people feeling like they're making a difference. There's some, if you have an overdose in politics, I'm telling you, and God does call some people to politics. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to throw politics out. God calls some people to those spheres. But politics, especially an overdose of politics, does something to to our souls. It just immerses us in anxiety and worry, especially in the 24-7 news culture that we live. It just immerses us in worry and anxiety of burdens we're not meant to carry. And secondly, the second thing I believe it does to us is it makes us feel like we're doing something when in actuality we're not. We're just forming opinions about things. It's like the, the age-old concept of being kind of like an armchair quarterback. You become an expert sitting on your couch in cultural matters, but we're not actually out on the streets doing anything. So I want to tell you something. I want to equip you with something. The good news of Jesus has an answer for every single issue that our society faces. Every single issue. 
We see our, our, our nation divided by racism. I want to tell you, the good news of Jesus Christ has something to say about racism. We become one body in Christ. There's no victims in Jesus Christ. Your sons and daughters. The gospel has an answer for the, this, the age of sexual confusion. And we begin to actually sit in the trenches with people, confused about who they are. And just sexually confused. And we sit with them and talk to them about how God created them and they're not an accident. We begin to dismantle their role seriously to bring about cultural change and not just point fingers politically. And the list could go on and on and on and on of every single cultural issue that we face as a generation. The gospel has an answer for it. Fourth is this. It's Bible knowing, not just Bible owning. The average American household owns three Bibles, physical Bibles. We obviously all have many, many more dozens at our fingertips, versions of the Bible at our fingertips. We are rich with biblical content. Like no other generation ever to, to live on the earth, we have so much biblical content. And yet, there's two different studies by Lifeway Research and Barna. They both said that biblical literacy is, is at um, just astronomically low rates compared to prior generations. In terms of our actual knowing the word of God. So it has to be more than just owning more biblical content. We actually have to seek the revel this revelation of God that he's given to us. It sounds so familiar to this indictment that Jesus brought John chapter 5, verse 37 through 40. I'm just realizing these aren't on the screen. I apologize. It's John chapter 5, verses 37 through 40. Through 40. You can turn there. This is the indictment that Jesus gives to them 2,000 years ago. This could apply perfectly to today. His voice you have never heard. I sit with people almost on a weekly basis, and they want to know, what does the voice of God sound like? How do I discern what the voice of God is like? And they have Bibles sitting in their, in their living room. His form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. He's speaking to ones that literally have memorized the word of God. Like they've devoted their entire lives to, to uh, committing this to, to their memory and to, to adhering to every iota of the law. They don't hear his voice. They don't know what his character is like, what his nature is like. It's not actually abiding in their hearts. And so then verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have a Holy Scripture that points us as revelation to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is God's living word. It gives life to our soul. We don't commit it to memory out of some religious obligation. We commit it to memory so it's food for our souls, so we see more rightly, so we see more accurately this beautiful picture of Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it all points to him. But we need to recognize that. And fifth is this, church as a body, not just as a building. So fascinating, if you read through the 28 books of, of Acts, or sorry, 28 chapters of Acts, 
not too much conversation about building buildings. Isn't that fascinating? And these were huge churches, thousands of people coming to know Jesus. The buildings weren't in the conversation. Ever since the time of Constantine and the popularization of Christianity, we've been obsessed with our buildings. And we're going to still have our building. Praise God for the resources that we have, for the favor that we have. Praise God for 501c3 status, all those things. But church is so much more than that. And if this building ceased to exist and if the government turned against us, I tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ would still thrive. You, turn, you look at China right now. In the midst of persecution and hostility, the church of Jesus Christ is thriving. And I would say more purity than the church in the West. So we got to be more than a building. See, any time in your mind, I just challenge you to this. Anytime you think about LifePoint Church and you think about a building, just correct yourself. Oh, yeah, we're not just a building. Think about the faces of the people. It's the family of God that he's called you to be a part of. We're a body. We function together. That means we need you. You need us. Together we all play a role, we play a part. You're not an attender, you're not filling a seat, you're not sitting in a pew, you're part of a body. We thank God for having a hub, you know, a center, like a, an actual building where we can gather and, and we can resource people and we can, we can have classes and we can have weekend gatherings. We praise God for all those things. But it's so much more than a building. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. This is a big deal. This is the gospel. It's a gospel for your heart. Yeah, at different moments in our own lives, we've, we've, no matter how long um, you've walked with Jesus, you've been, you've been tempted to reduce the gospel to something like behavior management and just outward behavioral change. Pray that in some form or fashion this morning that God in a fresh way brought you back to the, the purity of the simple gospel that's after your heart. He desires to, to give you a new heart. So I, in that regard, I was reminded of a, of a story. You now, back in 2007, my, my father-in-law uh, just kind of had his world crashing in around him. He's one of my heroes. He's been in ministry for now over 30 years and just an amazing man of God, but 2007, they had this beautiful house on the river in Moorhead, Minnesota, and, and that March came, and it was a 100-year flood, so their house was surrounded on all sides by water. The week happened to be his youngest daughter's wedding as well. So their house is surrounded with water. They're trying to still somehow move forward with, with pulling this wedding off. When he's brought to his knees with a dissected aorta, so his major arteries tearing into it's it's tearing separating 40 percent of people with a dissected aorta die before they even reach the hospital and a majority of those remaining of this of the 60 percent die on the operating table it's called the widow maker fortunately god's grace upon him at the hospital there in fargo a world-renowned heart surgeon happened to be there. She, she was actually known for doing the very first robotic heart surgery back in the early 2000s. She was actually there in the office. It wasn't like she was out somewhere. She was actually there. And like in a matter of minutes, by the time he got there, he was rushed into emergency surgery and, and she saved his life right there. And he's still alive today. He's with us. And 
doing well. Praise God that God gave him that new heart. But imagine if he just tried to muscle through it. Like, I'm just gonna push forward. I'm just gonna go for this. You know, shooting pain in his neck and his pack. His heart is tearing in two. How foolish would that be? But that is the foolishness and the dead endness of religion. As you're trying to muscle through life. That's why so many people, when I, when I sit with them in my office, they're like, they're drained with trying to just continue trying this thing out called Christianity. Because they're getting it all wrong. They're, they're thinking it's, it's them striving more, them trying more. Them muscling, muscling up more uh, spiritual energy to give it another day and to give it another try tomorrow. And it's like that just cycle of sin continues to eat them up and spit them out, chew them up and spit them out. Now what we really need and what the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim was, it's this gospel of heart surgery. Where we place our, our hearts before the greatest surgeon of the universe, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who has a plan for your life. You say, God, make things right in my heart of hearts. That word cardia, that, that the Jewish concept of that word heart is inner person, your inner person. It's the truest sense of who you are. That's what the gospel came to proclaim good news to. It's what the prophet Ezekiel saw. I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you. I'm gonna remove your heart of stone. I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh. That's what he wants to do in your life. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm gonna call us to respond. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.